Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Thursday, March 31st, live from my apartment in his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today on the program, we have Adolfo Mondragon and Alderman Byron Lopez. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarowski. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this Cynical Gas Thursday. And here's why. There was a song way, 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 way back in the 60s, long before any of you were born, called Classical Gas. Kind of a mediocre song. But I was thinking about it today. When I was reading the Chicago Sun-Times coverage of Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's efforts to give relief to motorists throughout the city of Chicago from soaring high gas costs. They've been soaring for a while now, and all of a sudden, Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, has decided, you know, I think it's a good idea to give some relief to the motorists of Chicago who are paying unbelievable amounts of money uh, to, every time they fill up their tanks with gas. I just did it the other day. The ladies and gentlemen, it was over $50, and I think it was like a half a tank what even a full tank okay so in this article and this is why i have cynicism on my mind i really don't want to be a cynical person i don't want to go through the world like having doubts about the motivations of people i really am trying to wean myself of that particularly as i head into a new year as one of my new year's resolutions ben i'm going to be less cynical this year i won't even say i'm cynical skeptical I'm going to believe people when they tell me something. Like I was when I was a kid. For most of my life, folks, I was such an innocent kid. I believe I grew up in Evanston, like the nicest, most middle-class suburb you could find. Everybody was really nice to each other. When someone said something to you, why would I doubt it? It was like, yes, if he told me that, it must be true. Otherwise, why would he tell me that? That was me, young Benny. Yes, very innocent young man. Young, <laughs> young. Then I come to this city of Chicago. Nobody, nobody, nobody is telling, nobody is like upfront about what they're doing in the city of Chicago. My guest who's waiting on deck is probably really riled right now to hear me say this because he's born and raised in Chicago. So I'm sure he's going to defend his beloved city. But in the city of Chicago, somebody says something to you and you're like, <laughs> it really is important that you just doubt it. It's that old adage they have, you know, uh, in journalism, if your mother te- says you love you, uh, says she loves you, check it out. What is more cynical than that, my friends? And that's what reporters are taught to do in the city of Chicago. So you just think about how ill-prepared I was as a young lad coming from Evanston, where, of course, if your mother says she loves you, it means only one thing. She loves you, Right. So I come to Chicago, it's like wolves. And that brings me to the topic of the day. Mayor Lori Lightfoot giving a little break to motorists who are getting sucked 
Socked, I tell you, by high uh, gas costs, brought on in part uh, by the war in Ukraine. Although we all know, and I hate to sound cynical, any excuse the gas companies have to raise price on your gasoline, they will use. So they have all these experts on TV. Well, you know, it's the war in Ukraine is causing this. <laughs> Come on, folks. I hate to be cynical, but I don't believe that. I believe it's like any excuse, let's jack it up and squeeze those suckers. Anyway. Willie Wilson, mayoral candidate, perennial mayoral candidate. I think he's gearing up to run for the third time. Uh, was doing gas giveaways. Millionaire Willie Wilson's uh, made a lot of money in his life. He's got money to give away, and he gave it away. Uh, long lines, and it was a big to-do, and it got a lot of attention. It was covered on all the news stations. And then, like within, I don't know, days, the alderman in the city council and the mayor of the city of Chicago were talking about getting rid of the gas tax. <laughs> It's like, oh, we have to do something to help the motorists of Chicago. And so then the reporters, who've been told, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm not making this stuff. This is what reporters are told. If your mother says she loves you, check it out. So the reporters, they go, oh, does the fact that you're suddenly proposing out of nowhere, having never even suggested it before, that you're going to get rid of the gas tax, does that have anything to do with the fact that Willie Wilson has been giving away money at gas stations throughout Chicago so that people can get gas for free? And what is the reaction of the mayor and her allies to that suggestions that their motives aren't just as pure as a little lamb running through a field? They go, they get mad. They get mad at the reporters. How dare you? How dare you doubt and question my intentions? How dare you think that I have anything on my mind except helping the people of the city of Chicago who can't afford to pay for gas? How dare you? And then you know what they do? This is what they do. It's like Donald Trump. They project. They flip the switch. Instead of them being cynics who have uh, ulterior motives, whatever they're doing, they accuse the reporters and the people of the city of Chicago of being cynics. And that brings me to Howard Brookins, the distinguished alderman of the 21st Ward of Chicago and a Lightfoot uh, ally. He's chairman of the Transportation Committee. And I will explain one more time. In the city of Chicago, I know, now this is going to sound very cynical. I'm going to try to rid this interpretation of cynicism alt at all. But you are taught when you are in school that our Constitution enshrines a separation between the various divisions of government. And so the legislative branch of government, which in this case would be the city council, is separate and independent of the executive branch, which in this case is the mayor of Chicago. But somehow in Chicago, <laughs> they forgot about that. And the mayor gets to appoint chairman of the committees in the city council. I'm going to ask my distinguished guest how that is constitutionally uh, viable and protected. My distinguished guest is a constitutional lawyer. So anyway, Howard Brookins, who's chairman of the Transportation Committee by virtue of the fact that he's an ally of Lori Lightfoot, said he understood the mayor's motive, but he argues that motorists need significant relief and that cynics <laughs> would slam the idea. If it was me, I would probably not do it to feed into the cynicism of the public that they're just doing something as a political stunt, Brookins said. Look, he's blaming the public. Howard Brookins, at all due respect, if the public is cynical, it's they got good reason. Number one, 
there is nothing more regressive than the gas tax to begin with as it slaps on, hits everybody the same, no matter they're Willie Wilson rich or Ben Jarofsky broke. So no matter who you are, you're going to pay it. So it's a terrible tax to begin with, and we should get rid of it, and we should have a more progressive tax. Of course, we'll never have it in the city of Chicago because they're too chicken to raise taxes on wealthy people because wealthy people have money to finance campaigns that can hit them hard. Won't want to do that. And so, yes, of course, absolutely, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's proposal to give some relief to motorists who are hit hard by rising gas prices is completely and totally a byproduct of Willie Wilson's gas giveaway. I, I swear to you that is the truth, and I am not cynical for saying that. All right, let's bring on our distinguished guest. He sat and listened to that one, and I know he's, as a lifelong resident of the city of Chicago, he is really upset that I would tarnish the reputation of his favorite city, <laughs> disparagingly referring to the people as less the leaders of the city of Chicago, as less than pure. Adolfo Madragon, welcome back to the show, young man. And uh, it's your moment. It's your moment right now to defend your beloved city from my accusations, which are so cynical that it is to harnish its good reputation. So before we get down to what I really want to talk about with you today, if you want to defend it, go ahead. No, I'm not going to defend it. I'll, I will tell you that it's funny because it reminded me, I think in the House of Blues they have a, quote from B.B. King, and it says essentially the same thing. It says, uh, only my mama loves me, and shit, she could be bullshitting me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's funny. Uh, he didn't. He said it better than the journalist. <laughs> she could be bullshitting me too. Oh, uh, Lord, B.B. King, may he rest in peace. Well, uh, we have a, uh, Adolfo as our guest, uh, and he's going to stick around when uh, Alderman Virus Sexual Lopez comes on, and we'll probably get back to the gas tax. Uh, in a little while, because I do believe uh, there's got to be better ways for the city of Chicago to deal with soaring gas prices uh, than give away gas cards. I've, there's got to be other uh, remedies to it. And I do believe absolutely positively that it was only Willie Wilson's gesture uh, or only Will, Willie Wilson's giveaway over the last couple of weeks that forced the city uh, to even think about helping motorists because to them it's just a bonanza the more gas costs the more gas tax comes in <laughs> they're like yeah by the way i gotta tell you this adolfo just i'm gonna tangent with a tangent here but here's the funny thing they go well we don't want to give a do away with the gas tax because it means we need the money coming in so what we'll do is we'll give people cards which will get them free gas and i'm like okay you must I'm not following this. One way or another, the city is either losing money coming in or spending money going out, so it's costing us. Do you follow what I'm saying, Adolfo? Right. Like, why do they distinguish? As a free lunch. Yeah, so I don't understand it. Do they? I don't want to be cynical here, but do they draw a distinction between getting rid of money coming in as opposed to spending more money going out because they think the public is so stupid that they won't understand that they're essentially the same thing? Or do they think there's a greater gain to be had from giving money going out? Help me out here, Adolfo. I need to understand. Uh, yeah, I, they probably do a cost-benefit analysis, and they're like, that tax brings in way too much money. And giving out a, a couple of uh, of uh, coupons for you know for gas is is going to be a lot cheaper than uh, you know. They're still going. It's a win-win for them. They 
get to do their little publicity thing, and at the end of the day, they still get to bring in tons of uh, tax money. Man, I'll tell you what. Adolfo was born and raised in the city of Chicago. He, he was we that's like cynicism is just bred to you in the uh uh in the hospital ward the day you're born, but you're absolutely correct. I think that's what they did. They go, Yeah, we'll be, we'll have more money uh if we uh just let the gas tax come in. Uh, they would make it and then you have to fill out all these forms, so they probably figure people won't fill out the forms anyway. Right. So like, exactly. Uh, exactly. We're like Willie Wilson just said show Come one, come all. Show up. You don't have to fill out a form. I'll give you the money. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get uh, talk about cynical acts. Um, the ability of politicians uh, to spend campaign donations on their criminal defense funds, one of the most cynical acts <laughs> I can think of. Uh, people give uh, donate money to campaigns, Adolfo, in order to a politician uh, to do whatever it is that they he or she is going to do as a politician and presumably serve the public, and then they end up using it uh, to defend themselves from allegations that they've abused the public. You, of course, filed your lawsuit, uh, and uh, according to the newspapers, you lost. But it's a little more complicated than that. So why don't you take a moment to explain things, uh, what, the verdict of the Illinois Supreme right. Court. Yeah, so I think the mainstream media focused, um, lost sight of the bigger picture. Um, so technically... The Supreme Court affirmed the decision of the board, which allowed Danny Solis to use the money in this particular circumstance to pay his legal defense uh, fees. Uh, but what the mainstream media lost was that outside of that, every other legal argument went our way. And in fact, this decision is now the vehicle like we wanted to that opens up the doors to everybody else who has been indicted and or who will plead guilty to or will be found guilty by a jury of having committed political corruption. The only reason why Danny Solis uh, was allowed to use this money for his legal defense is because he has never been indicted. And indictment... Um, the uh, Supreme Court felt was an important distinction between just merely having an investigation or allegation of wrongdoing and actually stepping into a serious showing of probable cause that there was political corruption. But what the Supreme Court said clearly was that the court has never um, has never been an apologist for political corruption and that campaign money should never subsidize political corruption. There was a concern <clears throat> about um, whether or not all politicians who are uh, accused of wrongdoing are actually guilty. And, and that's why we have this com compromise. Whereas I wanted the court to go the full way and say, anytime, anytime there's campaign money used to defray the costs of uh having to get lawyers to defend yourself against uh, even an investigation um, of public uh, wrongdoing, that it, it should be prohibited by the campaign, um, by the election code. But they wouldn't go all the way. And the reason why they wouldn't go all the way is, and this is a nuance that people wouldn't understand, is that we have seven Supreme Court justices. Three of them, three of them had to recuse themselves because of some connection to this issue, okay? 
The most obvious one was Justice Burke because her husband is currently under indictment and defending himself with the use of this money. And so she recused herself, and that's great. I think that that was totally the right decision. But because of that, it left four Supreme Court justices. And under the rules, in order to even have a decision on this case, all four of them had to sign on to this decision. And during oral argument, it was clear to me that one of the justices, Justice Carter, uh, had a concern about individuals who may have been unjustly accused by the government because it occasionally happens. And it does occasionally happen. They cite some cases from Louisiana and some other states in which RICO indictments were bogus, etc. But the truth of the matter is that 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 happens on the margins. And yes, when it happens, it's unfair, etc. And so in order to bring that justice in to the, to the, the, to, and get a ruling so that the Supreme Court could speak loudly on this issue, they had to make a concession. And I believe that that concession was that they wouldn't go all the way and say that as a per se violation, as that is all the time, always, you can never use this money to defray your legal defense costs. They niched out an exception. And, but what they did was with what they had, they, they made the Supreme Court, um, ended essentially the blanket policy that the board has had for years of allowing all candidates to defray their legal defense costs with the use of this campaign money by forcing them now to take these matters on a case-by-case basis and by giving them a roadmap of how to determine when this money is defraying political corruption. And they clearly say that an indictment is a good indication of when this money is being used to to defray political corruption. And clearly someone who's been uh, convicted or someone who has pled guilty, those individuals cannot use that money uh, to defend themselves against political corruption. And so now we have a roadmap. And now this opens the door. It green lights anyone out there to file a complaint against anyone who is currently under indictment and or has pled guilty and used this money to defend themselves. So that means that the likes of uh, Alderman Burke and former Speaker Madigan and certainly even Kerry Austin and others out there that are currently indicted, um, even if they've pled not guilty, indictment, it seems, is a good measure because that means that there has been a... Uh, level of probable cause that the, a judge has had to approve or at the very least a grand jury and unless it's a very bogus case uh, of an indictment um, the, the courts are basically saying forget the small fish Danny Solis, forget him read between the lines go after the big fish go after Madigan go after Burke and that's what this decision has allowed us to do all right, uh, let's go in the weeds a little bit. And uh, so I can buy the, um, the principle uh, that a, a politician, elected official, could use campaign funds uh, to defend him or herself uh, up until indictment because I, 
I do believe there can be uh, politically motivated uh, campaigns against someone. And I do believe, I don't have complete 100% uh, sincere belief uh, in the motives of prosecutors, uh, to put it mildly. So I can buy that argument that someone could be falsely accused. So my question is this. Uh, If somebody uh, spends, in the case of uh, Ed Burke, let's say, uh, if Ed Burke spends a lot of money, a million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, let's just say a hundred thousand dollars on defense fees uh, up until indictment, are, are those under this ruling uh, protected even if he is indicted? So does he have to pay that back Is he if he's indicted or because it was uh, expenses that he had before the official indictment, are they protected? Well, it's it's not clear under this ruling. Those little details will be left up to the Illinois uh, Board of Elections. But I think if it's revisited, I think that they will parse that out in terms of where the line... Well, they've kind of said where the line begins, but in terms of at what point um, do you distinguish between stuff that was legal and stuff that's clearly now prohibited and illegal under the law. I would argue that at the point in which you found that the individual pled guilty and or got indicted and or was convicted, that at that point, then everything retro, you know, from the beginning would be considered money that you would have to um, give back uh, to 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 your campaign committee. But again, those things will have to be parsed out on a case by case basis by the board. Now. Uh, what this decision also says is that <clears throat> if you want true clarity, not just the, the roadmap that the board that the Supreme Court has given us, which is substantial, but uh, again, like you said, it doesn't get those little details, right? Then what we do is let's go to the legislature and 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 pass a law that will make all these details either clear and or, as I would argue, let's just ban the fucking use of of this money at all, whether you're innocent or not. If you're innocent, you get paid well. You could, you know, you could take money from your own funds and defend yourself. And at the point where you're indicted, if you think you're innocent, there's a federal uh, uh, defender's program and there's also a state defender's program. So if you don't have the money to pay for an attorney, a private one, <clears throat> there are very good lawyers who work in those offices whether it's the federal public defender's office or the um, uh, county uh, defender's office. I'm a former appellate defender, and I could tell you in that office in the first district and throughout the state of Illinois, you have you have terrific uh, attorneys, or, uh, attorneys that are making uh, not only uh, novel uh, arguments, but also that ultimately win, but also are, 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 are giving their best to to people who are clearly factually guilty. So, I mean, if you don't have the money, there's still our government uh, has, uh, you know, uh, has afforded us an opportunity to have a defense in these cases. So I'm not so much worried about the innocent guy on the margins because there are other means uh, to afford them some level of protection. I'm more worried about the blatant abuse of this campaign money. Uh, that goes more often than not to defending public corruption, which is totally unacceptable. Yeah, I would argue that uh, <clears throat> there are already uh, people, uh, former 
uh, public officials who are uh, using public dollars uh, to defend themselves from in lawsuits. I'm thinking the one that pops in my mind uh, off the top of my head is, of course, former President Donald John Trump, uh, who is uh, using uh, public dollars, your tax dollars, to defend himself uh, in the lawsuit uh, brought on by E. Jean Carroll, who alleges that he raped her. Uh, so the public is uh, paying for uh, that uh, defense. Uh, so yeah, there is precedent uh, on that. Uh, right, right. And I would like to say that along those lines, the, the one of the big things about this decision is that the the Supreme Court um, uh, did not adopt the federal rule, which uh, is a is a rule that makes an exception for politicians that have been accused of public corruption uh, uh, be because the theory is that <laughs> the only reason they were accused of public corruption is because they were public officials and therefore they should use campaign money. And I think that that's very important. The appellate court had adopted that federal rule, which would have forever allowed any and all use of campaign money to defend against political corruption charges. But the Supreme Court said no. Our 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 legislature does not agree with that exception that the federal uh, government uses, and we will not adopt it. And in fact, that was a huge blow to the committee's uh, argument, the committee that Danny Solis had, and and I take it to the Illinois Democrats who were supporting this by way of the attorney that was representing the committee for Danny Solis. Uh, yeah, I'd like to point out Danny Solis, a former owner, we probably should have done this at the, at the top. Uh, we've had Adolfo on before, as so I've just assumed most of my listeners know this. Uh, Danny Solis, former alderman of the 25th Ward, alderman Byron Sixer Lopez, will be joining us soon, is his successor as alderman of the 25th Ward. Uh, and Danny Solis was a, a powerful alderman, a close ally of uh, Mayor Richard M. Daly and uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel, Again, we talked at the outset about how mayors get to name who are the leaders of the legislative branch are in the city of Chicago, a perverted system of democracy if you ever saw one. Uh, and Ron put uh, Danny Solis in charge of the zoning committee, uh, which made him perhaps the third most powerful uh, alderman, maybe second most powerful alderman uh, in the city council because every single zoning change request that had to be approved in which millions and millions of dollars hinged on some of these development deals came before Danny's committee. Very powerful alderman as a result. Uh, and he's second in power only to Ed Burke, who was in charge of the finance committee, uh, which oversees every single city contract and every single city budget. Uh, and as you all know, Danny did something that got him in trouble with the feds. And so the feds, uh, he cut a deal where he wore a wire and collected evidence on Ed Burke. So the second most powerful alderman in the city council uh, was <laughs> gathering dirt on the most powerful uh, alderman in the Chicago City Council. And uh, you wonder why I'm so cynical, ladies and gentlemen, about government. All right, uh, Adolfo, so the question is obviously this one. Are you going to file a complaint against Ed Burke? He has been indicted. So under the, the ruling, as I understand it, uh, that the Supremes made in your case against Danny Solis, uh, he's very vulnerable uh, to having the courts rule that he cannot use his campaign money for his criminal defense. Uh, so are you going to file such a complaint? Well, I'm not going to file anything. I'm the attorney. Um, and in this case, the individual who's the name plaintiff is 
Alderman uh, Cisco Lopez, who bravely put his name on the paper. Um, so I, I'm not in a position to be the person to be a named plaintiff in any of these cases. I, I, and I should also know, I did all of this work pro bono. <laughs> so I didn't get paid a, a, a cent for taking on this. And I gladly did it because I believe in the change that we brought about. This this decision is very powerful if people go back and actually read it. It is the best that the, the court could have done under the circumstances under only having four unbiased judges try to tackle this issue. And they did a great job as far as I'm concerned. I'm a little disappointed that they didn't go all the way, but I understand this is all about compromise and there had to be a compromise. But but for that, this is this is a terrific decision. What it does is it opens the vehicle for everybody else. And now anyone, any Joe Schmo can go do this. Of course, it's not going to be any Joe Schmo because you do need legal representation because these individuals, I'm talking about the Burke, Madigans of the world, are not going to take this laying down. And they're going to use their own resources now to defend themselves uh, and try to justify their use of this money. But I believe that there should there are people out there who will be, I hope, who will gladly sign on to um, object to these uses. But not only that, I believe that under this decision, it this allows the board itself to sua sponte do their own review of the use of the money because it's public knowledge. It's not like somebody has to bring them the knowledge that this is going on. And my understanding is that the board already does this in terms of other violations where they will run reviews of campaign committees activities like the disclosures. And then on their own, even if there isn't a citizen to file a complaint on its own, will bring a review of a violation that a committee has you know, allegedly made. I just was sitting in a hearing uh, this week on an allegation that the board brought against a committee that I represented. And so I believe, more importantly, that the board, now that they know this is, that this is the rule and that these allegations are out there and these indictments exist, that they have the power to bring their own investigation of these matters. And there's no need for a member of the public to file a formal complaint against any of these committees. But of course, that is an option, and I hope that there are people or organizations like the Better Government Association or any other uh, good government uh, uh, NGO out there to sign on and, uh, and bring these complaints. But I think, and I believe, and I think that there should be pressure to have the Illinois Board of Elections sui sponte on their own bring in investigations of these prominent cases that we know uh, are out there because of news reporting and because the indictments have been public. Uh, just to always try to help uh, listeners out and myself, uh, you used you introduced us, or you introduced me anyway, uh, to a legal term that I wasn't aware of, on their own. What's that word you keep using for on their own? Oh, sua sponte. Yeah, I love it when you speak Latin. Uh, and uh, that means what? That means uh, of their own doing. So like when a court acts sua sponte, it means that they're not acting at the will of one of the attorneys. They're doing it uh, at their own behest. 
Uh, all right. Uh, I, I think that'll happen against a powerful people like Ed Burke and Michael Madigan, uh, uh, roughly uh, when hell freezes over. But we'll see. I could be wrong and I could be unduly cynical. Uh, which seems to be a theme in today's show. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, Alderman Byron Sixia Lopez will join us, uh, who was Adolfo's client in uh, this case. And we can ask him right up front if he intends to uh, take the next step and go after Burke or Maddox. <laughs> uh, and then we have a lot of other things to talk about as well. So stick around, everybody. We'll be right back. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Byron Sixto Lopez, Alderman of the 25th Ward, has joined us. And I appreciate the efforts you've made to get on this show, Byron. Uh, only you and I know how much of a difficulty it was. So uh, welcome back, Connor, to the show. Yes, it is. And uh, uh, Alderman, uh, your lawyer, your attorney, your friend, Adolfo Mondragon, uh, has already uh, gone through an explanation of the verdict, or the decision in the Illinois Supreme Court, uh, and how they left open the possibility uh, that uh, even though Danny Solis is free in this particular uh, instance to spend campaign funds uh, on criminal defense, other indicted politicians will not be free, are not free under this ruling. So it could impact the two most powerful Democrats in the city of Chicago are currently indicted, and that would be uh, former House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan uh, and Alderman Ed Burke. So uh, I guess I'm going to ask, I have a two-part question for you. One, uh, your response uh, to the verdict itself, or to the decision, I should say, itself. Uh, and then the obvious question, are you going to pursue it and file complaints against either Burke or Madigan? So let's start, uh, we'll hold off the real juicy uh, answer to the end and start and just talk in general, uh, your response and reaction to the decision itself. Well, I think even though it was a, a mixed a mixed decision, on the one end, um, Ald former Alderman Solis um, gets a pass, per se, uh, because of his special and very unique case as, uh, as an informant uh, with an alleged deferred persecution deal. But it did open the, the door for people across the state and the city uh, to see that these indictment uh, procedures uh, are far from acceptable. In fact, uh, and Adolfo can probably uh, tell you all the all the legal uh, in detail the legal implications. But in short, the the Supreme Court didn't did not condone the case of corruptions and went as far as to urging the Assembly and Springfield to take action and and pass the law, change the law. That's exactly what we are urging um, Springfield, the Assembly, uh, and every legislator to take measures to make sure that we protect the interests of the public, the common good, and stop this uh, this practice, this shameful, shameful practice. Is a thing that every attorney I've spoken with and every resident, including legislators I spoke with, understand the implications and the need to change the law. So I think that the Supreme Court decision where they're very specific and have a strong language about not accepting or worse condoning corruption and urging the Spring Springfield, urging 
or political um, and or representatives to take measures to change that law. I do think that, as you said, that opens the door for other uh, other elected officials or other residents, as we've done in case of Alderman Solis, to make sure that we take action, that, that we do not allow this to be normalized. And as we've done, we have taken it to the highest level to the, the, the Supreme Court. And the ruling, I think, even though it's mixed, I think, at least uh, on our end, we were uh, expecting that they would not go after Solis because of his unique situation. But I think that this has opened the door, rightly so, and hopefully other legislators understand the implications and do and take action to make sure that in terms of indictments, when it comes to indictments and, and cases of corruption that are being proven, that we not allow the, the campaign contributions to pay those expenses. And I think that is a welcoming decision. I think for us is a win. And I hope that this opens the gate for people across the state of Illinois uh, and across the city to challenge these decisions and making sure that these legislators who have betrayed the trust of the public uh, find accountability in our system. All right. And I can uh, tell you right now, it caught me off guard. I never thought you would get what you got. And I told you, Anadolfo, you're going to lose. I, I So I was wrong, uh, and I must confess. I, you know I'm telling you, Byron, I go, you're never going to win, Byron. They're never going to rule with you on this one. Uh, and they left the door open, so I'm not always right, uh, Byron and Adolfo, as both of you know by now. All right, so are you going to file a formal complaint against Burke or Madigan uh, now that they've been indicted uh, to prevent them from uh, spending their campaign finances on criminal defense? We certainly, we certainly are listening to constituents, right? I think that we done in the case of um, Alderman Solis. Where you, I, I have personally already spoken with a few legislators, not only to um, to make sure that we introduce legislation to change this, but ultimately to make sure that we start questioning. Again, the ruling is that on a case by case basis, the board of uh, of elections must take that into consideration. And I think in the eyes eyes of the public. Uh, this is just not acceptable, and uh, we can expect that others will challenge. We'll definitely look into that um, uh, that complaint or, or when 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 the time comes. Uh, and we're certainly uh, talking with other legislators and constituents. We certainly understand the implications. And as being one of the most corrupt cities and the states in the country, we do have a responsibility to take action uh, instead of allowing these loopholes to continue to normalize these practices. We certainly. I wouldn't want to speak for Adolfo, but I tell you that we do have attorneys with um, with the backbone and integrity that our city and the state need uh, need more than ever. I, I tell you, like you said, right, I, I don't hold my breath for what they're going to do in Springfield. seems like there's not a lot of uh, appetite for ethics reform. But this is a, this is a case that opens the gate for complaints for the, for the, compl- for the residents. So we we'll definitely are in conversations with people around this. I think I, I want to add to that, um, that... Um, as I was saying before, I think that uh, uh, one one of the first things that the alderman and his peers and uh, other individuals out there who are concerned about this can do is we can, as a first step, before someone actually signs a formal complaint against any of the currently indicted politicians, is that we can make an effort to publicly uh, pressure the board itself to answer that question that Ben that you're posing and will you the board open up a review on all the indicted individuals who have used campaign money because that would save individuals like Alderman uh Cisco Lopez and his peers the uh, the cost of having to amass 
uh, a legal uh, attack on these individuals. And if the board first is put to the question, will you board now open up a review? It will save uh, individuals out there who don't have the resources to combat the big law firms that these individuals can afford to uh, justify the use of this campaign money and instead put the onus on the board itself, which does have the power and, and leverage and resources to go toe-to-toe with these individuals to um, ascertain whether or not this use of money is in fact subsidizing public corruption. That's a good point. Uh, and uh, Byron, I, gotta, I don't know if I've asked you this question, uh, but it popped into my mind. When we when I was talking to Adolfo earlier, uh, you guys are both young. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Serpico, uh, but Serpico is a great flick, and I urge you to watch it uh, from the uh, '70s. Uh, and Al Pacino, my beloved Al Pacino, uh, plays uh, Frank Serpico, who is a New York City police officer, a Byron who blew the whistle on corruption in New York and was treated like an outcast. He was the one victimized by everybody turned on him because they viewed him as a rat. And I want to know, uh, since you filed a suit, uh, have your uh, colleagues uh, in the city council uh, or just, in, you know, in general, the state reps, have they uh, given you criticism? Have they given you grief? Have they said, to you, but what the hell are you doing, man? You're screwing everything up. You're freaking upsetting the apple cart here. Just why don't you just go back to be a rookie alderman and shut up and stop causing so much trouble? Have they said stuff like that to you? Well, not directly, but I, I can tell you that I got definitely a few reactions, uh, and I'm not going to say any names, but likely for those who are also involved in in, in, some, in such allegations and, and corruption scandals. But I tell you, on the other end, we also have seen with uh, uh, welcoming um, and also with good eyes that I have also see some um, some other legislators, you know, especially, uh, and I'm not going to say all the names, but in terms of the Progressive Caucus members in Springfield, right? So some of some of the members of those 19 uh, individuals who stopped the re-election of former Speaker Madigan, and rightly so. So I actually think I've had some really good conversations with members of the Assembly and the Progressive Caucus. I also have seen, uh, re- you know, good good comments from some of my colleagues uh, in City Council that see this with good eyes, you know, and and, and understand what's at stake. So I think is is uh, for the for the most part, I, I tell you that. It'll be unrealistic to think that uh, we're going to get uh, a lot of support from the same uh, bodies that do not want to see that level of oversight, per se, right? So I think that we we understand the implications where this, and that's what we uh, we're not uh, um, we're not uh, we're not in this for uh, for uh, for anything other than the public good. That's what we were elected. Uh, one of the campaign promises that we made was that we're going to fight corruption. We're going to fight for ethics reform. And that's what we've done. In fact, today we I see with good eyes that Mayor Lightfoot ultimately conceded that it was wrong to try to stop. I mean, it took us six months, right? It took us six months. And I told you, I took a lot of heat too for speaking against Mayor Lightfoot on that shameful process. And we know what the maneuvering was about, right? And I took I took some heat for quote unquote uh, uh, keep always um, uh, fighting the the mayor to the nail, but. Six months and are wasted. We could not have afforded to have an inspector general that is not independent, especially with all the corruption allegations and cases that we had, including current 
alderman in city council with such allegations. So uh, it was important, and and I think this is also the the uh, the case. We were used to, you know, and, and the, the as you mentioned earlier, right, when we took the this to the Supreme Court, I tell you, I was also skeptical that we were going to get uh, a hearing, right? Where they only take five percent of the cases, but we were one of those cases. And again, now remembering uh, uh, the 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 late Cesar Chavez used to say, "Si se puede," which means we got to believe that we can do it. We got to believe that we can fight uh, corruption. And if we don't believe we can win it. That's where we have the hesitation. And that has been always my concern with some of the liberals that fall short to believe that we can actually do it. We cannot believe, we cannot uh, stop a fight without having one. We got to take the fight and see what happens. And a fight against corruption is one that we need to take. Uh, I'm going to tell you how you deal with liberals. Come on out from under the table. It's okay. Don't be so scared. Liberals like. Come on out. Liberals like to hide on the table. By the way, Republicans, stop smirking. You're under the table, too. You're so afraid of Donald Trump. Every time I ask a Republican about Donald Trump's lawlessness, they go join the liberals under the tables. All right, uh, you were referring. That's right. Yeah, so it's two ways there. Uh, Deborah Whit- uh, Whitsberg, uh, Lori Lightfoot picked her for New Watchdog. Uh, JT, Jeanette Taylor was on the show last week. All the women, Jeanette Taylor, she goes, she said, I'm insisting on Deborah Whitsberg. She's a good person. And I said, cynical me. If you want her, Jeanette, there's no way she's going to get it. Well, I was wrong, and uh, Deborah Whitsberg was appointed. Good thing we have an election coming up. All right. Um, uh, Byron, I got to ask you about the casino. I told you I was going to ask you about the casino. And uh, so the mayor, uh, talk about cynical games in the city of Chicago, they've whittled down uh, the sites to three uh, proposed sites, uh, two uh, on the near south side, one on the north side. And um, most cynics in the city of Chicago think they've already settled on a site, and this is just uh, uh, showmanship to try to drum up support uh, in the casino. And uh, m- many people think it's going at the 78, which is uh, roughly ro- just south of Roosevelt Road along the Chicago River, a huge expanse of vacant land, uh, which happens to be in the 25th Ward, Byron Sixto Lopez's ward. And let me just set it up. Uh, this, and let me just explain this, folks, so you understand this. Byron Sixto Lopez is a, um, a, a, social, a democratic socialist. He's a lefty. He's like me. He may be even more to the left of me, if that's such a thing as possible. All right? The old alderman was Danny Solis. So when they took that 78 and they turned that into a TIF, they were assuming, I presume, that the alderman would be one of these go-along types who would just do whatever the developers of the city of Chicago said. Now you got a Bernie Sanders-type Democratic Socialist as alderman, Byron Cicero Lopez. There is no way, Byron absolutely no way, in my humble opinion, again, I'm going on a limb here, that they're going to allow you to be the alderman of this area that is so valuable to so many developers where they want to put their casino. I guarantee you that in the next ward map, that area will be moved into the district of an alderman who is more, what, accommodating? Uh, More of a liberal, uh, to use your term. Uh, That is my prediction do you share my belief that that's what's going to happen? Or do you think I'm just being horribly cynical about the way things happen in the city of Chicago? No, no. And I will say, Ben, about you, you're usually right. <laughs> and I think that you've seen the ways of the city. Uh, what I said is that we'd be naive thinking that that would not be the case. What I tell you, Noren, is that we have learned how to fight, you know, um, these, uh, these decisions 
with the due process, right? And Mayor Lightfoot claims herself to be the reformer, right? To be the 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 light and the change in our community, something that I think by now if people have not seen the true colors, I don't know if we've ever seen them, right? But what I tell you is that in our administration, the way where we have won these fights, including the fight to appoint a independent inspector general, is to put this these fights into the eyes of the public. I think, uh, as you said, and you said it well, right? When liberals and conservatives alike, they hide under the table, they like to hide under the table. They like the, the, to stay away from the trouble, to stay away from the fight. Let others decide, right? But we cannot afford that because that has uh, direct implications for our constituents. So what we have done is taken Mayor Lightfoot on her word. She says she's believed in reform. We have taken her on it. And that's what we appointed a community advisory council for the 78. That's supposed to review the um, plan development project to the nail. We appointed together a, a, a committee of 17 people that she agreed with and entrusted with the PD oversight. The PD oversight actually does not allow gaming, funny enough. So I think that if there is a due process, right, despite of her efforts to, to create a parallel process, there is a due process. There's a committee of 17 members made of 25th world residents, third world, fourth world residents, and experts on the field. A committee that she appointed has recently, and I'm going to share the letter with you, uh, saying that they have conducted public meetings. They have conducted, they've done surveys, over 500 surveys of people in the area. 78% of the people is against this project, 78. So eight out of 10 residents do not think that this is a good site. We also have conducted our own uh, due process. So the community advisory council that the mayor appointed is siding with us and is questioning the mayor's plan to bypass their oversight jurisdiction on a body that she appointed herself. So this fight, if the mayor thinks it's going to be an easy fight, I think she's uh, she's up for she's up for a fight here because we are fighting this with the due process with the residents. In fact, in the letter to um, the new chairman Tony, who was elected or was appointed by the by the mayor uh, to chair this committee, the advisory council and my office have sent separate letters when we also urging Tony to create a similar process for the other two sites in the 27th ward and in the third ward so that the residents have a session and it's due process. The town halls that the mayor uh, promotes these informational sessions because they're not town halls. They're informational sessions about what they're already uh, trying to decide is not a community process. So we are fighting this with the due process. And I think that we have potentially even a legal case to make here because the planning development, at least now, is in the hands of the 25th ward. And we will make sure that that's respected. And I think we have overwhelming community support. We're also urging that to happen in the 27th ward, 27th ward and the third ward. But you're right. I think that at the very least, what they're going to do is they're going to win the fight on the table with integrity as they always uh, tried. They'll do what you, exactly what you're going to say. They're going to take it away so they have someone who can play, play along to go along. So we're going to make sure that throughout this process, we organize. That's what we do well organize, win power, and get the dirty clothes exposed so that we as a community can wash them. Now, Byron, when you talk about community opposition to the 78 plan, you mean not just a casino, but you're talking about develop. Folks, you got to see this. I urge everybody to check it out. It's a huge expanse of undeveloped land on the Chicago River. Uh, it's it's almost like going out of the country. It's hard to explain. Uh, there's bike riders who go through their uh, dirt bike riders and stuff. Uh, it's it's not a park per se. It's just undeveloped land. 
And it's the kind of land that kids go and play in, and their parents don't want them to play in, but they go play it anyway because it's right near the river. Is, and um, It's in the middle of all different neighborhoods, you know, Chinatown, South Loop, West. So you're going to put a whole, you know, entertainment center, you know. Um, you know, so I think it reminds me of the efforts, you know, the uh, of the for the uh, for the people who follow the history, right? They've been plans to have like the 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 Chicago uh, uh, International Festival, right? In these same some of these same areas, there was never a plan to keep Chinatown and Pilsen in these communities. We have always been seen as transient communities for the big developers and the powers of being. They're never intended to have a Chinatown and a Pilsen community established working for working people, right? Because of the proximity to downtown. Now we have the only Chinatown in the country that is growing. And we're very proud of it. Despite of the corruption and despite of the lack of help that many of our constituents receive, we are growing. And we are doing the same thing in Pilsen. So this is another attempt when everything else fails, you know, and money talks, you know, let's, let's, let's push, you know, this always, and let's remember what happened with affair, right? With the international affair. So those are things that don't work for our communities. Don't, I mean, casinos in general, they're predatory and the, and the effects on communities like Chinatown is, uh, is unacceptable. It, it's really predatory what they're trying to do. We are actually urging other communities to do the same type of process and stop this to bring rush. We understand the casino is going to happen one way or another. It was approved by the state, it's approved by the city, but where it lands, it matters. It matters to us and we're going to make sure that this is a community fight. Yeah. I, and I, to your point, uh, Alderman, Absolutely. It's already been approved by the state. It's coming to Chicago. Uh, I just wrote a column about this. I don't think uh, the city of, is already obligating the money they're going to get from the casino, which they haven't gotten the casino, uh, for uh, firefighters and police pensions. I can't think of a worse way to fortify your pensions than squeezing people who go to casinos. I, if the city was looking for a worse way... Uh, <laughs> both from the perspective that the people who are paying the money can't afford it, Alderman, as you know, and also it's like you don't even know if it's a steady stream of money that's going to come in because it could fluctuate according to the economy. Are more people going to casinos? Is it falling off because times are hard? Is there competition from other? There's casinos popping up and betting popping up all over the place. Is there competition? So you don't even know how much of a guaranteed income stream is. So it's a terrible idea in terms of sound financing, but city of Chicago is plowing ahead uh, anyway on it. Uh, by the way, do you have a, it, when you think about it, do you think there's a more uh, ideal location for a casino in the city of Chicago? Well, you know, than, uh, the 78 or the 27? Go ahead. That, that's a great question because, in fact, early on, right, uh, during before the, the process started, Alderwoman Garza on record stated that she will be open to the casino just because of the proximity to the Indiana casinos that they're already dealing with. They have an issue of, as you know, of pollution in the area that may be actually addressed, right? Again, I'm not going to speak on behalf of all the women Garza or the residents, but if the issue is jobs, right? If the issue is, you know, making sure that revenue, instead of going to one side of the border with Indiana to the other side, perhaps that could be at the very least part of the conversation, right? A more of an adequate side. So if we're changing this to make a more, you know, environmentally friendly area, they actually may not be a bad idea. I heard all the women Garza being open to the conversation but never even was considered in a potential place. So it means that Mayor Lightfoot is really paying attention to her campaign contribution for the casino operators who really want to dictate 
where this happens. But now it's very clear. Is Mayor Lightfoot goes with the decision of billionaires like uh, Bloom or is going to go with the majority, vast majority of residents, 80% in the case of Semien? I think the campaign contributions traditionally <laughs> have dictated their decisions, right? Mayor Lightfoot is not different. But if we talk about change and we talk about doing the right thing, and you're right, what a worse way to, to balance the budget but into predatory enterprises. But if it's going to happen, at the very least, let's have a conversation where it's more suitable. This is something I you know, heard early on. I'm not sure all the women guards and where she's at or now. Ultimately, it's her decision and decision or her um, community. But what I'm saying is that there are options, but not the same options that the billionaires want to have on the table because, unfortunately, they're not as profitable despite of the cost and externalities. All right. I got uh, Adolfo. Enough. I'm just curious, Adolfo, I never asked you about a casino in Chicago. Uh, your thoughts. Do you uh, uh, support having a casino in the city of Chicago? And if so, do you think it should be in the, some of the downtown areas, uh, more upscale areas that the city is proposing to put it? I think there's already a glut of casinos. <laughs> so I don't think that we need one. Um, I've never really seen a positive for a casino unless it's kind of like that. Uh, you know, in Europe, I think, don't they tax casinos like 95% and only leave the owners with 5% of the of the profits or something like that and use the 95% for uh, economic development or for, you know, blighted areas, etc. If it was a deal like that, maybe I'd be for a casino. But as it is, we already were surrounded by casinos. And so I don't even know if if <laughs> if it's a good idea economically to put another casino in because um it already has a lot of competition and then you add to it all the regressive effects that it has with gambling addictions and crime etc uh, organized crime coming in uh etc um, i don't think the city needs one anyway to to we do well with tourism without a casino uh i don't i don't see the benefits of having a casino in the city yeah no I I uh, sometimes I feel like I live in uh, Twistedville because the logic in the city is so twisted uh, half the time, and it, it's so funny. They they at first when they got they made marijuana legal, uh, the cannabis legal, they they blocked out the loop because they thought tourists would be offended by the sight <laughs> marijuana, and I'm like, oh, but you're going to put the casino there somehow or other? Gambling is okay, but marijuana is not. I, the city's logic is always uh, so twisted, I can never really understand it. Uh, Byron, as long as I have you here, i got to ask you about the ward remap. Uh, most uh, residents are very confused by the whole process. Uh, there's a bat All they know in the most vaguest sense is there a battle between uh, the black aldermen and the Latino aldermen, the black caucus and the Latino caucus. That's like the general sense that people have about um, the, uh, the situation uh, in the city council. I'd like to point out that Byron Cicho Lopez uh, is Hispanic, he's Latino, but he was elected. A lot of people who are neither Hispanic nor Latino voted for him. A lot of lefties voted for him. Uh, uh, Chinese Americans voted for him. Uh, white people voted for him. And there's some black people in the 25th Ward as well. And uh, Adolfo knows this because he ran for alderman in the 15th Ward. You can't get elected in the 15th Ward unless you have black and Latino support. So I... Please explain to me in the 21st century why there's this a fight over a ward map 
between uh, black aldermen and Latino aldermen, most of whom have to reach out to the different constituents, different ethnic constituents anyway, to get elected. Byron, help me understand this. So it's certainly being a um, classic uh, process uh, from the city council away from the residents without much public participation. Um, it, it has been unfortunately uh, created by design, pitching people against each other, black caucus against Latino caucus. And who are the big winners? You know, same old, same old, right? The same, the same status quo, the powers of being. Uh, now, with that being said, I think that there is a lot of implications for this decision. Um, as you mentioned, right, in the Latino caucus, for instance, in the case of, of the 25th Ward, we, uh, um, we employ good practices, best practices in terms of public meetings, holding public meetings, providing ample evidence, testimony, people coming to meetings. As a result, I tell you that the 25th Ward, the main difference and the one difference that you mentioned, it is exactly around the 78. The, um, everything else, more or less, has uh, the main things, right? Both maps have... Uh, communities like Pilsen uh, all together instead of split as happened in the last remap. Uh, the Chinatown community went to the 11th Ward to help uh, create the first Asian majority ward in the history of Chicago, which I think is something we supported and is a good thing for the Chinese community um, the, and the Asian community. Uh, the, big, the big variables are, one, the 78 in the Latino caucus map, in the People's Coalition map. We have it within the 25th Ward because there was no single one resident who wanted it out or to go into the third ward. In fact, at some, at some point, there was conversation around the 78 going to the 11th ward, which would make sense because the Chinatown community would be the most affected or one of the most affected outside of the South Loop. So would it make sense perhaps to go to the 11th ward? But of course, that did not happen. Too, many, too much risk. Democracy is too risky uh, for some individuals so, and landed in the third ward, right? So... Uh, the other the other factors, and again, even in terms of, in terms of uh, 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 demographics, right? Uh, we achieved the majority Latino. We will maintain the Latino majority in the Latino caucus map. In the People's Coalition, we have like 64 percent Latino. In the Rules Committee map, we are 72 percent Latino. However, there are areas in the um, uh, Rules Committee map that were not added, despite the residents. There was, in particular, the Barbara Jean Wright area. In fact, that was the area where I was always attacked by, you know, buying votes and also the scandal. Well, what happened was that there were developers eyeing that site, which is affordable housing, a whole development, and they were ready to convert it into something else. We fought to keep it affordable and to keep black families in the Barbara Jean Wright community and to hold the current absentee landlord accountable. That's the reason why no, they didn't want us near, anywhere near there. Now we have uh, almost $50 million that were allocated for improvements, the funding to make sure that we have quality, affordable housing for the residents. So they want to remain in the 25th ward because they recognize the work that we've done. But, you know, the rules committee have taken them out to join the 28th ward. So those are the two main variables in this web. But again, we submitted public comment. We submitted public meetings and testimonies of why residents wanted to stay in an area or not. We have done everything to do what they say they're supposedly doing. The rules committee continuous neighborhoods, Pilsen is all together. Chinatown is now in an Asian majority ward. Uh, we're achieving what the public said. The big variables were around with this development. That is what's going to be key here. So so if there, if it comes to a public referendum, which I think it will come to, uh, whether it is uh, the uh, uh, Latino caucus map or the black caucus map, uh, and the public gets to decide, if the Latino caucus map wins, then the 78 
would remain in the 25th ward. Am I correct in understanding that? Correct. That's in the Latino caucus map. It will be. Okay. Well, at the, at the risk of being cynical, watch the money flow in this, this referendum. They're going to want to take that to 78. Out of anywhere where Byron Cecil Lopez is anywhere. Anywhere to be found, they're gonna put. They'll put it in Adolfo's backyard if they have to to keep it out of. <laughs> they'll give it to Raylo down in the fifteenth ward to keep it out of Byron. Like unbelievable. You watch, Byron. You watch. They're gonna keep their do everything. That's that's the issue at hand. That's a huge chunk of development, ladies and gentlemen. That's a huge chunk. Go down there and look at it sometime. Like I said. And so they don't want a democratic socialist uh, in the driver's seat. And we're all supposed to have local control. Don't forget that. It's all supposed to be all local controls. The locals get a say. Uh-uh. They don't. Uh-uh. Not if the local is Byron Sixer Lopez. That's me speaking, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if Adolfo agrees with me, but I think in the heart he does. I don't know if he's going to say it. Um, all right, uh, Byron Sixer Lopez, thank you so much uh, for uh uh, taking time. I know you're really busy today. Before we go, I have to ask Adolfo one thing. And Byron, you can weigh in as well, although I don't think you're going to want to weigh in on this one. Uh, so I'm utterly obsessed, as anybody who listens to this show knows, for many different reasons, uh, which I could go on and on about, but I won't, uh, with what went down at the Oscars Sunday night. I am utterly, uh, as a fan of comedy, uh, as a guy who just worries about people uh, being able to control their anger, people needing therapy, uh, how far should we let comics go uh, in humiliating people before we uh, invoke the notion of cancel culture, etc. and so forth. I'm utterly obsessed on so many levels. Oh, and also I'm waiting for MAGA to use this against uh, black people. It's coming, folks. They will use it against black people. You, you heard it here first. So uh, your thoughts in the most general sense, Adolfo, I'm going to put this to you because you never duck and dodge. Are you on team Chris Rock or team Will Smith on what went down at the Oscars on Sunday night? Go ahead. I'm going to preface it by saying that I'm personally a fan of both of these individuals. But, dude, team Rock, man. Chris Rock was battered in public in front of millions of people. And the dude just, you know, he restrained himself. He composed himself. And... And he even uh, <laughs> he even declined to file uh, and press charges against uh, Will Smith, who totally was wrong, was out of his mind, and it's inexcusable. I don't know how he was allowed to stay at the uh, at, at, at the place and uh, receive that uh, that Oscar a few minutes later and make that. And then they didn't even cut him off with his Miranda, you know, with his roaming speech about him being a protector. And all this crap, and uh, usually they give you like a minute or two, and they start playing the band, and instead they just let him go on and uh, you know, uh, and talk about how how much of a protector he was, and it's a bunch of crap. And I think that uh, Chris Rock here is uh, has been totally wronged. I personally, I would have sued uh, Will Smith, and I would have pressed charges, but you know, hey. Chris is a better man, a bigger man than I am. I think he did the right thing in not pressing charges. Uh, and uh, I don't, I've been thinking a lot about this uh, because the Academy said they asked Will Smith to leave uh, and he refused. I'm like, you can't at the Oscars, just how, think about how that would look if you forcibly force Will Smith out. 
Like, I, that would triple down. I don't think that is a, uh, I, I don't support that in any way. Uh, no matter how offensive what Will Smith did, how he broke, violated all protocol by slapping well, What if somebody. he was a little bit more violent? Uh, what if he had not only slapped Chris Rock, but actually, like, you know, tackled him and started punching him MMA style or something like that? Well, then, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, there are degrees. Yeah, yeah, there are degrees. Absolutely. And we've had this conversation before. Will Smith, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, was in the, the movie Ali. He played Ali, and he's a trained boxer. So if he had hit him with a punch as opposed to slapping him, and he's a bigger man, that would have been a hell of that. That could really have hurt Chris Rock. Uh, so uh, I, I, I'm troubled about this on so many different levels. And we're going to have a larger discussion on uh, comedy uh, in general and what are the rules that should apply. Uh, I, I feel like the comedians should look at terms of humiliating their subjects or their humor, and uh, I think Chris Rock should look in the mirror a little bit too. Like, right? But it, but how far are we going to go in this? The you joke. Know? But but Ben, even on that level, the joke was so mild. It wasn't a Don Rickles roast of uh, Jada. It was it was such a mild joke, and uh, so even if you're going to restrain a, a comedian, a, an artist is. Uh, you know, ability to go after somebody. I mean, this joke was nothing. It, it was something that, you know, any of the late night hosts would have said, you know? Yeah, it was not uh, the ro of the roast of like uh, Richard Pryor roast in the 70s or even like the, the stuff we have now, Jay Ross uh, and uh, Tommy Lee and all those roasts and stuff, et cetera and so forth. All right, Byron, Adolfo, thank you very much. I also want to thank DJ Nate for sitting in for Dennis. You've done an outstanding job. The pride and joy of Lane Tech High School. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.